Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series in the book of Matthew called Mysteries of the Kingdom with a message entitled Understanding the Times. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 to 19, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I once heard a very popular comedian talking about his mother. He said that his mother had lived to be 101 and that she had lived to see the entire 20th century. He said she lived through two world wars, had lived through the invention of the airplane, television, antibiotics, personal computer, the internet, international travel. She, she had lived through the atomic bomb, a man landing on the moon, all of that, he said, and she never noticed a thing. He said she had absolutely no idea of what was going on. She had no curiosity. And, and if you pointed anything out, she would say, that's nice, without even a modicum of understanding. Well, as funny as all of that was, that is, at the expense of his mother. See, I mention this because, as a matter of fact, a great many people have no idea of the spiritual significance of the times. You know, I regularly meet with Christians, for instance, who have no idea of the explosive growth of the global Christian church. They have no idea of what God is doing. And furthermore, I sometimes meet North American Christians who don't understand the phenomenon of immigration from a biblical perspective. That is, according to Acts 17, 26, God allocates the periods of people and their boundaries. You know, the passage says he does this so that they would seek God. See, the radical changes in our culture, they are determined by God. He is opening up a fresh door for gospel witness but many Christians, like this comedian's mother, they have no curiosity, and they don't have a modicum of understanding. So we've started a series studying three chapters from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapters 11 to 13, a section I've called the Mysteries of the Kingdom of Heaven. I might begin today by simply stating that for a great many people who witnessed Jesus preaching and miracles, they did understand that something very important was going on. I mean, perhaps he was the Messiah, perhaps not. Perhaps God has visited them through this man, or if you listen to the Pharisees, perhaps this man was the incarnation of the devil. But they had not even a modicum of understanding as to what was going on, and many, as Jesus would say in John chapter 6, they understood that he had fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish, and they had come back because they knew that he could feed their hungry stomachs, but they had no idea as to what it meant, and they were content not to ask the question. And so, as is often the case among people, most people didn't understand the times. But let me add something to that. I would argue that even today, 2,000 years after Jesus, people still don't understand how Jesus' coming has permanently altered the world and, and how his kingdom is now at work in the world. That is, they don't even have the slightest idea of what's going on. But I'll come back to that thought in a moment. But for now, we begin by noticing that John the Baptist had been put in prison. He's languishing there for about a year and in despair, thinking that when the Messiah arrived, he would immediately destroy evil. John begins to entertain serious doubts. So he sends his disciples to go to Jesus with a question. Are you really the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? Now, clearly, John, even though he was a true prophet and knew that the kingdom of heaven meant both the blessing of the righteous and the destruction of the wicked, even though that was true, John didn't fully understand the times. And really, it's hard to blame him for that. But in his confusion, he was entertaining serious doubts. Now, there's a tendency among many people when they hear of a great leader stumbling 
or of someone who's made a great impact in times past now faltering, you know, these are people who love to pile on. A great many people love hearing of Christian leaders stumbling. It, it brings them some sense of perverse delight. You know, the Germans have a word for that. It's the word schadensfreude. It means to delight in the harm that comes to someone else. And so as John is languishing in prison, he's struggling with seasons of darkest doubt, and he sends people to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? You know, when I said that you're infinitely greater than I am, when I said that you were ushering in the kingdom of heaven, was I wrong back then? Of course, Jesus tells John's disciples to go back to the prison where John is being held and report to him what they see and hear. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are being raised. He tells John, don't be offended that at this moment I have delayed the judgment on the wicked. Boy, I can almost hear someone scoffing. That John, once so great, but look at him now. What boldness he used to have when he condemned Herod Antipas, but now look at him. He's in prison. He's struggling with doubt. Turns out he's not even half as great as we might have thought. And with that, with that evident thought that people might have had, They'd be delighted that John's being brought down a notch. Yeah, ah, yes. He once condemned everyone else for their sins, but now look at his own. Look at him struggling now. Listen to Jesus' response, and I'm reading Matthew 11, 7 to 10. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Now, to all of those who might not understand the times, it might be a good thing to start, says Jesus, by considering what you had when John was among you. So as Jesus' disciples are leaving to report to John, Jesus turns to the crowd and asks them, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? And then he asks them three rhetorical questions. First, did you go out to see a reed shaken in the wind? That is, did you go out there to see a man who was weak and easily shaken, ready to change his mind whenever the wind blew from another direction? Well, the answer to that, that's clear. This man was a man of courage. This this man was a man of conviction. He was strong. He didn't bend under pressure even when the Pharisees came to derail him. That's who John was. He was a courageous man. Second question. Did you go out to see a man who was wearing soft clothing? That is, did you go out to see a man who had wealth and political power? (laughs) No, you didn't. This man who made an impact on his world received no support at all from the rich and the powerful and the well-placed. And yet, in spite of that, he continued to speak. So you saw a man of courage, even while the powerful opposed him. What then did you go out to see, Jesus asks, the third time? And this time, it's a very serious question. Did you go out to see a prophet? Ah, yeah, they did. But he was not just a prophet. Didn't you understand the times? He was the greatest prophet that Israel had ever seen. Didn't you know that? That past generations only saw Isaiah or Jeremiah, Ezekiel, maybe Daniel. But you saw John, the greatest prophet of God that Israel had ever seen. And Jesus said, didn't you know that this man was a fulfillment of Malachi 3 verse 1? He's the one that Israel had hoped for. 400 years they had hoped. Didn't you read your Bible and recognize the times in which you were now living? 
You know, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That is, he's the one chosen by God. He's going to usher in the greatest epoch, not just of Israel's history, but the greatest epoch in the history of the world. He would come suddenly. I don't know about you, but I see in our world two trends. You know, one trend is the trend to make heroes out of unworthy people like movie stars and sports figures and musicians. I mean, we laud them, we fawn over them. But there's another trend as well, and it's this delight that we have in bringing down what we call the powerful. You know, when a so-called powerful person stumbles, we love to say, look at that, what a hypocrite, or, or look just, you know, he just puts on his pants the way we all did, but look at who he thought he was. And when Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth, which was his hometown, people were, quite frankly, offended by how he spoke and the way in which he handled himself. Who does he think he is? But even if others don't know who he is, we know in this town. He's the carpenter's son. His mother and brothers live right here. How they love the idea of bringing him down, of just flattening him out. The people of Nazareth, truth be told, they were the ones who had no idea who he was. And like the comedian's mother, they had no idea of the times in which they were presently living. And that's how it was with John. You know, he's in prison, he's suffering, he's being mistreated. And in the dark of his dungeon, doubts begin to assail the greatest prophet the history of the world had ever seen. And rather than wallow in his doubts, what does he do? He seeks as quickly as he can to settle those doubts. And what does the crowd do? Rather than seeing the greatness of John's response, the people just simply shook their head. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. How he has feet of clay like the rest of us. Oh, how quickly he has doubts when he so quickly condemned us. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, asks them the most basic question about John. Who was that man? Did you understand him at the times in which he lived? And then, having paved that as an introduction, Jesus is far from done. The faithful, accurate teaching of the Bible impacts lives. Krista wrote, I came across Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld a few weeks ago when I was looking for biblical advice on a specific topic. And what a blessing this ministry has been ever since. I've listened to many podcasts, discovered In Doubt, and have recommended both to friends. I appreciate the faithfulness to biblical teachings, the depth of the teachings themselves, deep but explained in a way easy to understand. Back to the Bible is so appreciative to all those who help make the daily Bible teaching program happen. It's not one person, but thousands with a commitment to the importance of teaching God's Word. Your gift, your prayers are critical. So please continue to support the program in your area so that others like Krista might grow closer in their walk with Jesus every day. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Jesus, as we've seen, is challenging the crowd to understand the times. Who is John, he asks them. But he's not done. So I'm reading now from Matthew 11, 11 to 15. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, verse 11, in a way, summarizes what Jesus has said about John. This is the greatest prophet in Israel's history. Let that sink into your mind when you think about him. And by the way, I find this a wonderful teaching tool. What Christians should do when their leaders show weakness. No, no, I'm not talking about Christian leaders who fall into sexual sin or who have some other grievous sin that brings disgrace to the cause of Christ. I mean, for those leaders, I mean, they best step down with haste. They ought to humble themselves. They ought to accept discipline and correction and be willing to do what needs to be done to set matters right. No, no, I'm not talking about that. But over the years, I've seen a sport in the Church of Jesus. We discover a leader's weaknesses and how quickly that weakness is exploited as people driven by a psychology of, of delighting in bringing leaders down. They just jump on board and they do harm. You know, if that's you, hear me now, shame on you. Shame on you and repent. But let's not be distracted from our text. After having announced that John is the greatest of all of Israel's prophets, Jesus then goes on to say almost inexplicably that a new day has now dawned in which the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Uh, That sounds as if he suddenly reduced John's status, whereas up till now he's been exalting John. So what's Jesus saying here? So please remember as we seek to understand that we're talking about understanding the times. Let's see if we can do that now. In verse 12, Jesus said, From the time of John until now, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence, and the violent take it by force. At least that's how this difficult sentence is, is translated in the ESV. But there are at least three different possible interpretations of this text. It is possible to translate this text as saying it in very positive terms. The force can be translated as enthusiastic crowds pressing into the kingdom, and the violence refers to the enthusiasm around which Jesus' new followers are entering in. You know, that interpretation of this saying was quite popular among, let's say, the early church fathers. But another possible translation has enthusiastic people entering into the kingdom while violent people are trying to disrupt them. But I think the most likely translation of this passage is the way in which the NIV translates it. The NIV says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. You know, that's to say, ever since John the Baptist announced the kingdom, violent men and women have been attacking the kingdom, and they've been raiding it, doing all they can to stop it. I think that translation is both grammatically correct, and it makes sense in the context. I mean, why is John in prison? Answer, you're now living in a day in which the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the present realm, and that has sparked a violent conflict. Violent men like Herod Antipas and his horrible wife are using violence to stop the kingdom. Soon they will direct their full wrath at John and they're going to behead him and they'll show off his head to their dinner guests in the palace. Violent people right now are raiding the kingdom of heaven. Ah, but, but how is it then that, that someone who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John? Well, let's hold that question for just a moment longer and notice that in verse 13, Jesus begins with the word for or because. That is, Jesus is describing how it is that the least in the kingdom is greater than John because 
All the law and the prophets prophesied until John. What does that mean? Well, well, please remember Luke 24, verse 44. That passage has Jesus teaching after his resurrection from the dead. And there he said, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That is to say, all of scripture is leading to this pivotal central moment. And right now is that moment. Now, having said that, that all of scripture is leading to this moment, back again to Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says of John that he is the Elijah who is to come. So here Jesus is referring to Bible passages that promise the coming of Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, which, by the way, are the very last words of the Old Testament. They say, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Hence, says Jesus, that's how the Old Testament ended, with that note. And when John came, that's who he was. Don't you understand the times? But now, says Jesus, now that I have come, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. Every time you see a blind person receiving sight or a a lame person walking or a, a leprous person suddenly healed or even a dead person raised to life, didn't you know what was happening? Everything the Old Testament was leading up to, God's entire program in the world was leading to this pivotal point. And John was the man who was ushering in this age. Wow. And you thought he just put on his pants like the rest of us. Think again. But how is the least of the kingdom greater than John? Well, clearly, however we understand that, it can't mean that every single person after John has a greater role than John. No, it doesn't mean that. Rather, Jesus is saying that as great as John's privilege was to usher in a new era, this privilege pales next to the person who actually now participates in the new era. Don't you see how significant this moment is, says Jesus? Don't you see how privileged you are to witness this moment? And don't you see how profound it is to be invited into the kingdom of heaven and to become a follower of Jesus? Don't you understand the times? And with that, Jesus adds words now recorded in in, in chapter 11, verses 6 to 19. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Now, remember, I spoke of a comedian who spoke of his mother living to be 101, living through the entire 20th century and not understanding the significance of her era. Well, that comedian was John Cleese. I suspect he was just having fun at his mother's expense. After all, if you know, Cleese was a fairly irreverent man. It doesn't surprise me, therefore, that he would speak of his mother in that way. But let's assume it was all true. And so we shake our heads. I mean, how can that be true? And how can you have gone through a century and not have noticed the days that you were living were unlike those of any other era of human history? I mean, how indeed? But look, says Jesus, at this generation. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet in history, is viewed with contempt. They say he's severe. He never laughs. He's constantly fasting. He's humorless. Many of you thought that if you see a man like that, I mean, he's probably possessed by a demon. 
And then says, Jesus, I came along, and unlike John, I attended the banquet houses of sinners and interacted with them regularly. And what did you think of me? You thought I must be an alcoholic and a man in love with food. You're like children complaining that the men God has sent are not to your liking. One's just a little too hot, the other's a little too cold, but no one's just right, and you judge them all. And all the while, you feel superior and smug, and in a place where it's easy to judge, you have absolutely no idea what's going on. You're living in an epochal moment of history, and after this, the entire Earth's calendar will be dated from this earth-shattering moment but you're asleep. You don't have even the slightest idea of what's going on. Did you know that spiritual blindness does that? Spiritual blindness misses God. Jesus tells the crowd that wisdom is proved by her deeds. That is to say, the deeds of John and the deeds of Jesus prove their wisdom, but they simply aren't paying attention. So let me make application. If we live in our world and don't understand what Jesus is doing in our world today, and how his presence in this world is defining every single event that happens, and how right now his kingdom is continually breaking in, preparing the way for the age to come, well then who are we? We're like John Cleese's mother. We're living in the most amazing times and haven't a clue of what's going on. May God have mercy on us, and may he open our eyes. John, thanks so much for your message today. You know, so many questions come to mind about how God is at work in our times. But I also understand that, you know, there's so many things that God is doing uh, that we're not aware of, that that he's in the mix of, and, and we may never understand until we see him one day and say, wow. But it is important for us to understand that God is at work. Yeah, I mean, you know, understanding the times, I mean, I know that a lot of us have tried to relate the time in which we live to the actual second coming of Jesus. So, you know, because A, B, C, and D are happening, we must be right on the threshold of Christ uh, soon return. But, you know, I, I guess I want to say I, I don't ever want to go there. I mean, when people ask me about how close are we to the end times, I always say, well, I think Christ is coming very quickly now, give or take a couple of thousand years. I, I don't know, but I do know this. I know we're living in a day, Ben, when the gospel is going forward as never before and when the gospel is being persecuted as never before. These are amazing times. We should sit up and take note. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us tomorrow as we continue our series, The Mysteries of the Kingdom, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. How will you begin 2019? And when the year comes to a conclusion, What will you look back on to know that you've earnestly pursued God, you've witnessed his power, experienced his love, and declared his praise? Well, Back to the Bible Canada is a Bible teaching ministry not intended simply to change minds, but hearts, and to call God's people to live lives that glorify him. This new year, we continue to search out God's will and purpose to embrace new opportunities for declaring His word of truth and freely share Bible teaching resources that engage the mind, heart, and spirit. Our prayers that you would journey with us with your prayers, your encouragement, and your financial support. Together, working to share God's word of truth and life. 
call us today with your gift or for more information about all the ministry resources available to you, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.